0: The Stay in the Game podcast was brought to you on all major platforms using the magic of Buzzsprout. You can see our page at stayinthegamepodcast.buzzsprout.com That's stayinthegamepodcast.buzzsprout.com On that page you'll also find all our social media links but if you want to contact the show directly our email is stayinthegamepodcast at gmail.com once more that's Stay in the Game podcast at gmail.com. Welcome to Stay in the Game with me, your host Steve. Now, today's discussion is going to be based around how the trauma brain can affect the way you see the world and change how you interact with the world and the people in it. This will hopefully challenge and enlighten you, but I hope it will also help to bring clarity to others in your life. As always, any views and opinions expressed on this show belong to the person or persons expressing them and, unless expressly stated, do not reflect the official policy or position of any other author, agency, organization, employer, or company. Stick around. If you're feeling broken down, if you're feeling like you'll never be the same, Join me because I'm getting back up. I'm going to stay in the game. Greetings and salutations. I would love to say I'm coming to you from sunnier climes, but the truth is I live in the frozen north and part of my week consisted of drilling into the ice that was frozen over the drain grates on my street. Uh, to try and release the lake that had built up right outside my house and started creeping up my driveway. This in turn also taught me that my winter boots are not fully waterproof and that having them sit just an inch above the water means that the waves from all the passing vehicles will flood my feet with icy coldness. But on the bright side, I didn't get trench foot. And although that feels like it's a low bar for setting my measure of success... I did actually manage to drain the street, so it wasn't a completely fruitless endeavor. So today I want to talk about the trauma brain. I think it's a concept I've spoken about in previous episodes, but I don't think I've used the term yet. So in short, trauma exposure can basically rewire your brain. It can affect your ability to process emotional responses. It can impair your memory and impair recall. It can cause states of hyperarousal, fear, stress, insomnia, increased irritation, Uh, it can produce an inability to calm down and so much more. Uh, Exposure to triggers or stressors can reactivate trauma responses. And that response can be indistinguishable from the feeling of the original trauma exposure, almost as though your brain has been fired back in time and you're facing those terrible things for the first time all over again. It can be debilitating, it can be emotional, frightening, and exhausting, and that's barely scratching the surface. The biggest challenge in my recovery, and something I wrestle with daily, is improving my ability to recognize these extremes. Now, I've talked previously about dealing with the warning signs uh, of when I feel like I'm spiraling, and that's challenging enough, but this is a whole different kettle of fish because... This is trying to act quickly when something suddenly sends you from zero to 100 in the blink of an eye. Uh, for you, for me, I, I usually feel my stomach drop, uh, the color drain from my face and my whole body start to tingle. Um, I feel like I'm stuck in that 1000 yard stare where the, the blinkers are on and I can only see what's straight ahead of me. And if I don't act and break that process, it can really sink me and I can lose hours uh, of my day to it. I can lose sleep, I can miss appointments and completely shut down. Uh, As time goes on, I still have issues with huge reactivity to certain things, but I'm learning through practice to claw back some control. It usually means taking some time, uh, maybe an hour or so, maybe more to really sit in the circumstance that triggered me and just work through it without letting it take control of me. My only goal during that time is to find enough resolution in that space so that I can leave the reaction behind and continue on with my day without carrying that weight around. It's still not easy, but it is necessary and it's very worthwhile. I would encourage you to make notes when you have these experiences. What happened, how it happened, where you felt it in your body and how it progressed because when you have these moments, you can almost pick a part of your body where you feel that reaction and feel that weight. And as it progresses, it can actually shift to different parts of your body. And you'll learn that the different emotions that come up can be very specific in the parts of your body that they target. So keeping notes on that is really going to help you to recognize what's going on. Um. I would share these notes with your therapist or whoever else you're talking to and try to devise a strategy that works for you. Um, keep notes on what works and what doesn't because that's also important. Uh, a lot of this can just basically be a trial and error to try and find the right you know, special sauce for you to be able to work through these things. Uh, you might think you're not getting anywhere. When you look back at the notes that you've made, you might find that things are actually improving, but you didn't notice it because the improvements were incremental. It's like when you go to the gym, you're not gonna see changes day after day after day, but if you take a photograph on day one and a photograph on day 30, that's when you're gonna see the improvements. So you know, celebrate the progress that you make and congratulate yourself on it because it's important that you recognize that there is some forward movement there. Mm-hmm. When these, uh, let's call them episodes, happen to me, I feel crazy. Now, I mean, people's perceptions of PTSD or shell shock or any other name that's been used over the years is admittedly getting better. But there's still a lot of people who have a picture in their head of a disgruntled Vietnam war vet who's mad at the world and poised to go postal at the drop of a hat. Now, I know I've seen that look when I've told some people about my diagnosis. It's been hard enough wrestling with my own perceptions that I'm nuts without having to deal with that look out for the crazy guy expression that you see on someone else's face. The only thing worse is the look of someone who feels sorry for you, who feels like you're about to break into a thousand pieces at any second. And... The trouble with these types of reactions is that i feel obligated to explain to the person that i'm not a raving lunatic or i'm not fragile and i don't need to be handled with kid gloves i've just been through some things that have changed the way i see the world or the way i interact with the world or my ability to trust people or whatever it happens to be but remember you can be polite and give some insight, but you're not explaining yourself or giving this person a medical history, and you're most definitely not trying to justify your diagnosis to them. I know it can be hard, but as soon as I see that confused, concerned, or questioning look on someone's face, I kind of revert to one of my trauma responses, uh, which is trying to over-explain everything, almost like I'm seeking someone's approval or having them say that I'm justified in having my diagnosis. And when this happens, I need to stop. I need to remind myself that I'm not seeking that person's tacit approval. I don't need them to agree with my diagnosis. I don't need them to know the deepest, darkest workings of my mind. I hope for a little grace and a little understanding from them But I constantly have to tell myself not to be reliant on that because not everyone's going to give it to you. Again, that comes back to that fear of being judged and trying to control what people think of you. The bottom line is that you can't. And when you start trying to control what other people think, it's a fast track to nowhere. And you're really just setting yourself up for failure. The reality is that most people will never fully understand what it is you deal with, but if they're a true friend and they want to remain in your corner, they should be able to articulate to you that their support is not based on you having to make a case and justify your issues to them. They need to cultivate trust with you. If they can't or if they won't, I would suggest that someone that you just don't need in your corner or in your life at all. I'm going to take this theme to the next level now and talk about how it can translate to the workplace. This is another area where great strides have been made but that doesn't mean there's not still a long way to go. My perspective is solely from working in Uh, paramilitary organization. So a lot of what I talk about is based on those experiences. But I think a lot of the concepts I want to cover are universal, because they're based on human nature and group dynamics. Now, the strange thing about the workplace, especially when you work in an established hierarchy, and in particular in paramilitary and military organizations, is that when you're dealing with operational stress and post-traumatic stress, Part of the organization encourages you to form these trauma bonds. The relationship you have with, in particular, your supervisors and your bosses will be, in some cases, similar to, say, an abusive domestic relationship. The structure of these organizations is such that you are constantly seeking approval from those in higher positions. And even when those people show repeatedly that they do not care about you and will actively try to sabotage you, you'll double down and you'll try to work harder to overcome those obstacles, to prove yourself to that person and to get that check mark beside your name. I've seen it time and time again where people in positions of authority will actively abuse that authority and selectively target certain individuals under them. It tends to follow a pattern of being quick to criticize and slow to praise, and it can set the tone for this person to become increasingly fixated on doing better or trying harder, again, to try and get that approval. This is a tactic that can keep people in an abusive domestic relationship for years. And similarly in the workplace, it can cause irreparable damage to someone chasing something that will never be given to them. A trend seen a lot in workplaces is that personal issues are also going to affect these professional relationships. It's human nature that we cannot generally turn off positive or negative personal feelings towards someone when we walk through the office door. If you like someone, you'll go the extra mile at work to help them out, and conversely, if you don't like someone, you won't help. Or in some cases, someone may actively go out of their way to cause harm to that person in a professional setting. I've personally been complained about because during my time as an association representative, I happened to play in a charity golf tournament with a ranking officer that another ranking officer didn't like, and so a slew of allegations were made about me being uh, corrupt and having secret meetings with this individual to the supposed detriment of the officer that was complaining. Now, the allegations were nonsense, but given that this person was my boss, do you think it changed how they dealt with me in the workplace? My experience was that it did. Someone that I would considered a friend became a stranger, and from my perspective, They seem to actively start trying to screw me over. On the flip side, you have the people that get along with others at work. Now, the people that are playing hockey or soccer or going out drinking or socializing heavily with supervisors and bosses will generally tend to have a much easier time and have more things overlooked or be given more assistance or be given uh, additional opportunities at work. Uh, the fact that they're like means that that path to success is better paved for them. The question you may be faced with is going to be this, am I going to compromise myself in order to play that game? The answer is that you shouldn't have to, but unfortunately we don't live in an ideal world. So try to be aware of those trauma bonds and the fact that your employer may be taking advantage of you particularly if you start exhibiting symptoms of your OSI and PTSD. That's where things may have gone too far. And uh, for anyone that doesn't know anything about sanctuary trauma, um, it's another thing that comes into play here, where a place where you feel or should feel uh, supported and cared for and looked after, um, i.e. the workplace to which you give a large portion of your life, just isn't looking after you. And that can cause some deep seated damage. Asking for help is tough. And when you do it, you would expect your employer to have that aha moment where they put the pieces together, realize what's been going on and assist you in getting the help that you need. And show some understanding and compassion while you're going through that process. And it's my hope that that is what happens for people because it didn't happen for me. I was offered no help and worse. I had my shortcomings that were part of my condition used against me by my employer. I had a breakdown in front of a high-ranking officer who, um, now from my perspective, appears feigned concern and sent me straight back to work, all the while he was aware that he had already taken steps to frame my poor work performance as misconduct, despite the fact that it was a major symptom of my condition. So be careful who you place value in when you're at work. Don't let someone with nefarious intentions manipulate you, and if you need help and ask for it, don't let someone brush you off. Put on paper, put things in writing, put the ball in someone else's court, because sometimes, unfortunately, the only way to have people take action is to make them be afraid of the consequences of their inaction. I wish I'd done that rather than having verbal conversations and trusting that these people had my best interests at heart. Mm -hmm. Now, on to the glass half full segment of the show, where we get a chance to celebrate our growth and revel in the things we know today that we did not know yesterday. And who knows what we'll know tomorrow, you know? Corey Marks is up again, playing us into some positive mindset. It's good. It's good. It's good to be us. And today we're going to talk about knowing your worth. All the things we've talked about today have an element where you're letting someone else tell you what your worth is. Someone else is deciding if you've done a good job or you've deserved a promotion or you're worthy of their friendship or or whatever. But think about how you strive every day to take control of that trauma brain we talked about. Think of the ways you navigate everything it throws at you. Think of how you push through to be there for your partner or your children or your colleagues. Your your true worth doesn't come from how they think about you. It comes from how you think about yourself. It comes from the realization that you put in the effort and you fight the fight every single day. It comes from true self-love. Now, I know that there's some adolescents sniggering up in the back (laughs) row when I say that. And go ahead, laugh it up. Like, it's funny. Make a joke about it, but also let the true gravity of that sink in. You are, as the meme says, today years old. You have endured, you have overcome, and you have dealt with adversity, and you continue to strive every single day to make your life better. And I know that because that's what I strive to do, and that's what I hope everyone that comes and listens to this show is aiming for. And on top of all that, sit back and have a really good look at what you've accomplished. Like, I mean a really good look. No one likes to toot their own horn. Well, some people do, but the majority of people that I know have a really hard time with being proud of themselves, with realizing their accomplishments, and with saying those accomplishments out loud and taking the credit for them. The work you've done is is an example to all the people that look at you and that see what you've been through. So be proud. I have at times been very critical of myself but 20 years ago if someone had told me that I'd be in my early 40s living in a foreign country with two awesome healthy kids, a fantastic partner, And I'd rediscover my health, my happiness, my purpose, and my drive at that stage in life. You know what? I'd probably say to them, yeah, that's actually a pretty good deal. And nobody, no person and no organization can ever take that away from me unless I let them. So be bold and speak your truth, especially when you're talking about yourself. And be real about who you are about what you've achieved and about what you stand for. Because I'm proud of you and you should be proud of you too. And that's a wrap for today's episode of Stay in the Game. Thanks again for listening and please reach out with any feedback you have. Or if you've got a suggestion for a particular topic you'd like covered in a future episode, let us know. Go to stay in the game to find the links to the social media pages, and you can reach out there or email directly at stay in the at gmail.com. Until the next time, stay in the game.